Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. We are finishing off a little sermon series called Face to Face, a sermon series on prayer. Um, if this is your first time and, and you want to know more on this, if you uh, just ask us, you go to podcast, you can get the last four and put it together in a little bit of a folder if you want to. Um, we've been speaking on prayer and the first two weeks, what we did is we took a portion of scripture and we really dissected it verse by verse by verse, looking at the words. And in the last two weeks, we've we've just opened up uh, the Bible a little bit more, taking some um, some scriptures from one place, connecting it with another, and that's what I'll be doing tonight. As I'm going to talk about Jesus in my prayer room. Jesus in my prayer room. I want to talk devotionally. Before I head in, into, into five points, is what I'm going to give you tonight. You can write that down if you've got your book and pen here. Um, I want to take just a little bit of an introduction to read through a portion of scripture uh, to almost lay the foundation and then we're going to hit it. Two things I want to ask before I start. A little bit as a proposition for tonight. Uh, what do I want to achieve by this sermon? What do I want you to understand uh, by the end of tonight? The first thing would be, why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Okay, It's a good thing to ask. Um, and what happens when believers pray? Now, that's very wide. These things, uh, they, they need books to contain them. But I just believe that tonight I'm going to say what, what the Holy Spirit has given me to share, that it will break open the walls in your heart that it needs to break open for tonight. Amen? So sit back um, and, and look up to the screen if you want, or you can turn in your Bible to Hebrews 9. And we're going to start with this whole idea, why do we pray in the name of Jesus? And then, then we're going to apply a lot of this theology, uh, we're going to apply it devotionally. So that tomorrow morning when you pray, maybe you can just read through those five points and that it will help you. Okay. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's check if the people from Zimbabwe is awake. <laughs> All right, Hebrews 9, verse 1. I'm going to go slow. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Now, let me just stop already. The word testament in the Bible can be translated similarly to covenant, right? So the Old Testament can be called the Old Covenant and the New Testament can be called the New Covenant. Of Afrikaans, the Overbond, the Overbond, Old Testament. Now, what this writer is trying to say is, let me tell you about how worship worked in the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, the Old Testament. Can you see that? Right, now he's going on to explain. He says, a tent was prepared the first section, in which were a lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it's called the holy place. And he's literally describing what the temple, how it functioned. 
And he goes on, behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Okay, some explanation of what it looked like, what was there. Above it, were the cherubim, those are angels, of glory, overshadowing the mercy seats. They made angels. They carved out angels, right? Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail, right? And he goes on. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. Who goes into the first section? The priesters, okay, the priests. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So the high priest went into the most holy place, the place where God's presence was most focused, if I can say it that way, and he had to kill an animal, and the blood of the animal would be in place of the blood that he would be able, should be able to shed for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Okay. Can buy so. If this was the Old Testament. Okay. He goes on. That's the old covenant or the old testament. But the question is why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Let's go on. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, see that word, of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, okay, Jesus entered the most holy for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Are you following? Therefore, brothers, oh, let's, let's just look at that last sentence for a moment before I go on. Thus securing an eternal redemption. So every year, the priests would go in to the most holy place, kill an animal, and for a moment, something would have been completed for Israel after his encounter in the most holy place, paying for the sins. Lord, we know we have sins. Firstly, everyone is outside. This one man goes in. He's afraid. He goes in and says, Lord, we've, we've caused a lot of sin. This blood represents that we know this should have been us, this lamb. Please forgive us. But next year, the same thing should happen. The priest would go into the first part a lot, but next year, the same thing. But, but look at the wording here, very important. He entered once for all. Not by means of the blood of goats, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Very important. Never again, never, ever, 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 ever will history People may say, you even must do what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, it says the Bible, 
Mark a deer, do it for the forgiveness of sonnets. So why are we not obeying the Bible? Because the Bible is a narrative, and a narrative has a start of certain things and the end of certain things. And the start of the first covenant is clear, but this first covenant has ended. Because someone went in once and for all. Once and for all. So now, what should we do with the Old Testament? Should we not read it anymore? It's not valid? No. When we read it, and we read of a priest going in, and the Old Testament, and the people shedding the blood of goats, we say, Lord, how much we love you. That you have done that for us, our own high priest. So the Old Testament points to Jesus. And when we are reminded, we say thank you. Just a little bit of theology. Is that okay? It's gone. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. See that? By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What the scripture says, therefore, since what Jesus has done, he went in, forever paid with his own blood, let us now have confidence to go into the most holy place. And what do you do there? What do you do in the most holy place? You meet with God face to face, which was not possible to do in the Old Testament. So if this was the Old Covenant, you guys would all be on the, on the, on the grass outside, close the door, and then we'd say, who has the guts to go in? And then I would say, not me. Because <laughs> what happened to those people who go, went into the most holy place, it's such a place of holiness that if their hearts were not right, they would die. So what they'll do is they'll have rope around the legs of those people. All right? And they'll have maybe something that makes a noise. If it's just a beer, it's a ling ling And so this person will walk in, and when they hear it, it goof, dead. Then they pull him out. It's a krefnet. Okay, and so so to be called to be a priest was not a joke. It's entering the most holy place on the planet Earth in that moment, the place where God abides. And you, they've been, they would be repenting of sins for days and weeks and fasting, whichever sin comes to mind, killing animals. But what Scripture says, no man can actually carry that load. That's why they had to do it every year. And when that priest died, there needed to be another one. Until the perfect priest comes. But he did not pay with the blood of a goat or a lamb. Put himself on the cross. Okay? So having that as a big background, let, let me just blow your mind for a moment. That you are allowed to be here and sing to God with a band leading worship. You know, we spend so much time on junk that we, we don't get blown away with what just happened here spiritually. We should be blown away. We are beholding and we are tasting what Israel in the Old Testament could barely taste. A few people here and there. We are privileged. We are privileged. Amen? Now, it should make sense when we go to John 14, verse 6. 
that Jesus say the following words. These are, this is not just a nice rhyme we hear every now and then. It's very specific what he's saying here. He's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I claim exclusivity. I'm the only way. Very important. That's what Jesus says. I'm the only way. There is no other name given. N none other offered themselves so that you could come. Only one. Does this make sense? So to ask again, why do we then pray in the name of Jesus? That's the first point for tonight. We're talking about prayer. Believers pray in the name of Jesus because through his life and death, he became our entrance to the Father. That's why you'll often hear people say, Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus. It's just a reminder. I'm not here because, you know, I gave money to the poor last week. I'm not here because, you know, um, I never swear. No, Lord, if it was up to me, I would never be allowed into your presence. But I'm coming in the name of Jesus, the one who died for me. And it's to remind us, not the Father. He knows when you come that you've been washed by Jesus. Amen. So we remind ourselves that we stand because of a man that died on the cross, the man that was fully man and fully God. That's why you often hear this prayer, in this, this word in the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? So tomorrow morning or tonight, maybe you go home and you feel, um, you feel ashamed about a few things, but it's like something in your heart is stirring you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, take 10 minutes and pray. But you, you feel shy because of... You know, someone, something reminds you of a sin you did, okay? And now you think, I'd rather not pray, okay? So what the enemy is telling you is, when you are holy, then you can pray. But what scripture teaches us, and Brown said it this morning, when you meet Jesus, he will lead you into more holiness as you grow. So tonight when you want to pray, you don't pray based on your performance, because then you'd never get to pray. You get to pray based on what Jesus did. Lord, I'm coming not in my own name. Thank you, Jesus, that I can boldly approach your throne because of what you've done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yes, let's go on. Now we're going to pick up speed. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, Psalm 84, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So we get the psalmer, David, writing. He says, listen, for me, when I get the opportunity to worship God in his place, there's something that moves in me. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather you know, just be at the back there cleaning the toilet than sitting on a throne somewhere, but God's not there. He's learning to enjoy the presence of God, right? Let's go on. And they worshipped him, Luke 24, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. In Philippians we see, 
the Apostle Paul writing, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. The second point I want to say here tonight is through prayer, believers learn to enjoy God. Okay? It's, it's through prayer. And I know it's hard to get to start with a prayer life, but through prayer, you learn to enjoy God where He moves from being a contractor in your life that's called in to fix stuff or we often talk about the vendor you know park at the window put in the order and then depending on what comes back through the window god was either great or not okay. but prayer if you push through it teaches you to go beyond the layers of your need and then you start to realize i enjoy being in the presence of god Face to face. Face to face. We enter in the name of Jesus, but once we are there, we get to enjoy. We get to enjoy God. Does that make sense? Let's go on. Jesus in my prayer room is what we're talking about tonight. Check this out, Isaiah 62. I'm jumping a little bit tonight. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. Who's speaking here? It's God, right? He's speaking over his people. He's speaking over Israel. He's speaking over you in the new covenant. And in your land, you'll be called married. Is what he's saying. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. I don't know what it looks like when land gets married, but a marriage is a good thing. So it must be a blessing, amen? It's speaking of a blessing that's coming over your life, right? It's, it's speaking of God bringing the whole idea of festivity and the coming together of covenant with Him being the central part. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's powerful words. Jeremiah 29, 11. What we are looking at in these scriptures is we're looking at the idea of God that turns his face towards you and he is now also responding towards you in enjoyment. Right? Check this out. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. A lot of you know the scripture. Plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. The third thing, through intimate prayer, we experience God's delight in us. It's there. It, it's there, it's given, it's, it's, it's out there, it's to be tapped in from our side. Can we go back one slide, please? Thanks, Gert. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Um, I love you so much, plans to welfare you. But then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you, there will be a response. So in prayer, we come in the name of Jesus as we engage, as we praise Him, we start to enjoy Him, but we also experience that two-way communication of God enjoying us. 
And that's powerful. Okay? That's powerful. There, there lies a very important key for you as a young disciple here tonight, maybe, is to move from knowing him as Savior only, which is where you should start, okay? But he's not the angry Savior. He's not the angry Savior that's only here to forgive sin. He's the generous Father that loves you. But you will only experience that if you plug into that and have community with him. Does that make sense? Jesus in my prayer room. Just check this out. We're going to stay on this point for just another thought or two. But he would withdraw to a desolate place to pray. Okay, it's speaking about Jesus. In Luke 6, 12 as well, he says, it says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God. Why did he pray so long? Did God not hear him the first six hours? Did Jesus forget the Lord's prayer, which he taught the people? And so he was on the mountain. And it would take him a night to remember. Now, why was he so long on the mountain praying? Why? He was enjoying God. And God was enjoying him. He experienced the Father's delight, which gave him the opportunity to go out again. We'll get to that in a second. But remember, Jesus had fellowship with the Father for eternities, eternities, forever and ever before he became a man. And this would be the closest place for him, the closest place to get to what they had in heaven. Father, you and me. And that's the closest you will get. All right? And so he would stay, plug in, would tell the Father how much he loved. Father, I only, I only do what I see you do. I love you. And maybe the Father would echo some of the words we've heard. You are my son in which I have delight. And they would carry on. Can you see that prayer is making petition? You should ask God. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's speaking about this whole place of prayer where we ask God for physical and practical needs. You should pray for them, okay? We're not saying you should not. What I am saying is venture beyond. Venture beyond to a place where you enjoy him. How do you do that in prayer? I didn't plan this, but let's talk about this for a moment. You go into your room and you start describing to God his beauty. And if you're not sure, get, go to a psalm that helps you and read it. You say, Lord, no man has ever been so unselfish as you. Did you know that's worship? Only you and God. No, no man was ever willing, ever to do what you were willing to do. You had no sin. You paid for all sin. That blows my mind. There's no one like you. That's worship. You are describing his beauty to him. Lord, I have sinned so many times, yet you forgive me so many times. Give me your heart, because there's no prettier heart. There's no heart more gentle, more kind than you. I want to be like you. That's worship. Now, you've been busy two or three minutes, and you've not asked a single thing except to be like him. 
Okay. To experience the light of God in you and you having the light in him. Does that make sense, everyone? Let's go on. Luke 6, verse 12. Jesus prays. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer. Okay, we had that scripture up, and now we're going on. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Okay, what I want you to do is to look at those two verses and see what comes out of prayer. We, we, we see he goes out, he prays all night. He's having community with a father, yet when he comes down, he comes with direction. Can you see that? He called his disciples and chose from them 12. We see this again in the lives of the disciples. Acts of handling a dating. While they were worshipping, while they were worshipping, see that, the, worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Kiss Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Can you see that? Time and prayer, community with God, direction comes. And then they move. Right? Number four, in time of prayer, out of relationship with God flows direction for your calling or for your life. Now remember in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the priest had to go in. You had to wait inside, outside. And then he would come out with general guidance from God. God says, we should not make war right now against the Amalekites. And then the people would say, okay. <laughs> That's what he says, 100%. But in the New Covenant, you get to speak to him yourself. You get to go in for yourself, for your own life. So you don't have to, you know those tannies, okay? So when you are young, a young Christian, or before you're a Christian, and you've got a, you know, should I take this girl for coffee or not? You know, should I, I don't know, go to Russia to study or not? Then what do we do is we call it, oh, tannies, but, okay? Then we say, tanny, please go to God and pray for me. And then tell me what I must do. I'm making a joke out of it, but you know what I'm talking about. Because the tannies bit. Now, what's important is that the tannies don't bit for you. Okay? You need to go in for yourself. Because the tanny is not your high priest. The high priest is Jesus. Okay? And what he wants you to do is not to be a parrot that copies behavior, but to go in for yourself. And speak to God. Even if it's hard to hear him at first. You say, Lord, please help me make this decision. In your presence, instruct me. In time of prayer, out of relationship with God, flows direction for your calling. It's in your prayer room. Make sense? Let's go on. Almost done. When he said to them, oh, then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, my soul is very sorrowful. This is in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be betrayed by a friend with a kiss. 
Then he would be crucified with all his friends leaving him behind. And he knows this. Okay? He sees us coming. Uh, this for us in our language, no, no one will ever have to die for sins again. Okay? Jesus died for sins so that he can pay for your sins. And the bottom line is, let me just say this quickly, is you and I will pay forever in hell for our sins or Jesus will pay for it once on earth. It's the gospel. Right, but what Jesus experienced here in the garden is pretty much like you being tied to a train track and the train is coming. Doot, doot, and there you are. The only difference is Jesus was not bound to the track so he could get off. He went to sit down. Father, let this cup pass from me, but if not, I will go through with this. But in this moment is what he's experiencing. It's coming, it's coming. He's saying to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch me. Watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In his moment of greatest pain, he enters his prayer room. He goes a little bit, there's a place for praying with friends. Very important, very important. But there's a place, he walks just a little bit further. He's alone, he falls, says, Lord, I'm at my end. All right? Hebrews 4, 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What it says is that Jesus experienced every single thing that you can experience on this earth, every temptation. Do you know, let me, can I, let me just blow your brain for a moment. It's, uh, let me just get my words. Two, two people, if two people get tempted with sexual sin, all right, let's use it. Everyone knows that temptation, one way or another, or you're dead. Okay, the one person bows their knee to the temptation, falls into sexual sin. The other person, he doesn't sin, okay, he pushes through. The one who pushes through understand temptation even better and harder because he pushed through it to the end. All right? The one who fell, there's a part of temptation he never faced. All right? And what Scripture is saying is there's something about Jesus not bowing his knee to every sin, that there's no temptation you face that he's not faced further and more ultimately like you have. And so when you call to him, he knows how you feel because he's been where you are and beyond without bowing his knee ever. That's our high priest, all right? We spoke about this three weeks ago, Romans 8, on the same idea of uh, let this cup pass. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, he's talking about believers, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies is one day when you will get a new pair of everything. All right? And that's on the other side of death. 
And what it says is on, on this side, even though we're young and, and, and when we're young, we, we, we're a little bit more bullish, nothing will happen to us. There will be an amount of groaning in us until we are finally relieved of new bodies. That's what the scripture is saying. But listen up, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for in these times of groaning, right? But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And what this is saying is when you enter the place of prayer, in the name of Jesus you enter in, you're not the only one praying. When you're struggling to get the words out and you're not 100%, you just, just, just pray. Because the Holy Spirit prays with you unto the Father. He knows how to do it. And the last point we need to make tonight is, it is in prayer, this time of groaning, right? Where Jesus comforts us when we have to go through a difficult time. And if people led you to believe in the past, but now that you've come to Christ, there will be no difficult time they've not preached the gospel to you. They've not preached the gospel to you. There's one thing that will fall from you. It will fall from your shoulders, from your spirit. And that's the weight of sin when you come to Jesus. And what a breath you can take when that falls off because it's probably the heaviest thing on you. So in one sense, yes, that falls off and you're like, I can breathe. And it's like everything changed, but it's all in here for now. <laughs> Amen? That's why Christians are different when they are plugged into God. And a lot of people go through a difficult time. The Christians rise up. There's something in them that stirs the rest. And what's, what's in you? I thought I had faith. Why are you different? Because you're plugged into an eternal source. So you can deal better when circumstances around you fall apart. Okay, There's no hopeless circumstances. There's only hopeless people. All right? That's why Paul can sit in a prison bound like this and say, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. All right? I can't even say that when I sit on a couch and I'm a bit hungry. All right? See how much I have to grow. God comes to meet you where you're at. You turn your life to him, sin falls from your neck. You breathe. You say, come in, Lord, comfort me here. And before your circumstances change, everything changes here. That's what it means to be a disciple. Not to be rescued out of stuff that happens in life. You don't have to face it. Because we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. I mean, there'll, there'll be a day when, when, our, when all tears are wiped away. But for now, we, we hear and we wipe one another's tears and we get into our inner room, we pray. And Jesus says, I will give you a helper and he will carry you through. The Holy Spirit is here. So what I'm asking tonight is, How's it going with your prayer room? Don't cut off your own oxygen. Amen? Don't cut off your own oxygen. Turn to
turn to God, invite Him in and experience. What you will experience is that those circumstances, they're not, they're not as daunting as what they are without God. You can actually face them. And sometimes, I'm not preaching this, sometimes upon our turning our hearts to God, some of those circumstances, He gets out of the way. Sometimes it happens. Okay? Sometimes the grace is that you grow through them. That's for God to decide. But you've got help either way. Amen? Right. So let's stand up tonight and let's respond to this. He's here in this place. He loves you so much. So where you are standing, can you just take a very deep breath and then just close your eyes for a moment just to not be distracted. And I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you tonight? What is he saying to you? You are here. You were led to be here, maybe through a friend. Maybe you saw a sign on a lamppost. But here you are. And what is he saying to you tonight? God doesn't work in this place because we are shofar. He just works here because he's God and we are people. Work in every heart, Lord. Such a great God. We turn to you, Lord. 